How do you successfully create a new B2B market category? This is the question that many founders ask themselves, but it's a very niche topic and there's just not a lot of content out there from people who've truly taken a shot at creating a new market category. So that's why we've created this show. So at G2, we have over 2,100 different software categories now. As I mentioned, when we started 10 years ago, we only had one, which was CRM software. What we're doing at Timescale is we're redefining the database category. Montecarlo is pioneering a category called data observability. The subcategory interview intelligence is new. We are the leader. There's a lot of category creators that are no longer with us. Uh, they're in the, the great category graveyard somewhere. In each episode, we'll learn the backstory behind the B2B founders' category creation efforts. We'll learn what worked, what didn't, and tactical insights for how you can build a winning category strategy. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now, let's jump in to today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thank you for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Brian Law, CMO of Zoom Info, a publicly traded go-to-market platform that I'm sure everyone listening to this show has heard of. Brian, thanks for chatting with me today. Brett, thanks for having me on. Not a problem. So I want to go ahead and start off with the big question here. So you have had an amazing career so far, and you joined Zoom Info about, I believe it was a year and a half ago. So take us back to making that decision to join Zoom Info. What led to that decision? Yeah. First uh, half of my career was in consulting really around sort of strategy, heavy use of analytics. And a lot of it was around go-to-market growth was what we were consulting on. I moved into marketing for the second half of my career. And a lot of what I've been trying to think about is how do I marry my interest and passion and understanding of overall company strategy and go-to-market strategy with making marketing as efficient, predictable, and valuable as possible to the broader organization. And so that really required sort of a combination of effectively leveraging data, turning that into sort of insights that can be used for decisioning, and then trying to automate outreach across channels in a way that maximizes growth for the organization. And so that was something that I was actually building at the past few companies. And then when ZoomInfo reached out to me and I was talking with Henry and he said, it's fascinating that you're trying to do that on your own because ZoomInfo has a platform that actually does that in an integrated way across sales and marketing. And I said, I am in, uh, where can I sign up? And so that was what sort of got me excited about the opportunity. And it's really proven to be the case. I've leveraged some of our competitors in the past, was actually on sort of the, the customer advisory board of one of them. And uh, just the power with what you can do with really, really strong data and then an integrated platform that allows you to execute in an automated way. It's pretty fun. When you joined, what was ZoomInfo's category at the time? So we've grown up more on the sales intelligence side. I think originally we were really known as a very, very strong B2B contact database. And then we expanded into being sort of number one across B2B data, whether that's sort of the, the contact database, the company information, intent, importantly, and technographics. But that was really where our bread and butter was, was on the sales side around B2B data. When did you formally decide to make go-to-market the category? Yeah, that's really, as I've come in, we've been thinking about our evolution. We did a, in Q4 of last year, an outreach to sales and marketing leaders. And we really tried to understand, you know, when they're trying to solve certain types of problems, when they're in certain buying situations, what are the thoughts, feelings, and emotions that come to mind? What are the pain points they're having, the emotions that are associated with those? And it really became clear that sales and marketers actually think about problems in a very integrated and aligned way. They think about how to solve them differently but they are trying to solve go-to-market problems. 
And so that was where it became really clear that we needed to lean into this idea of an integrated go-to-market platform that takes our data and allows you to engage with people in an orchestrated way across the entire go-to-market ecosystem. And so we, you can see that in our sort of our tagline, Zoom Info, how business goes to market, the way that we think about sort of our overall vision, which is we want to modernize go-to-market for all. We are really trying to lean into what we heard from uh, customers and prospects out in the market. Were there other options that were on the table in terms of categories? Honestly, it was it was amazing how clear it was through the feedback that we got. Sort of, we did that. We also talked to a bunch of analysts, Forrester, Gardner. I think we're highlighting similar uh, things, maybe in different ways of this collapsing a need for sales and marketing to come together. Uh, I think both companies had highlighted research that they believed at least a part of demand gen might actually move into sales because of this lack of alignment, the need for technology to start integrating. So that sort of need for the alignment was, I think, pretty clear. And just go to market, I think, makes the most sense. How we've tried to surface up why why we think Zoom Info in particular is valuable took a little bit more work. And where we netted out was ultimately we're the best at sort of taking all of that sort of avalanche of data and unlocking insights is one. The second piece is how do we help you engage customers in an efficient way across all those channels? And then how do you then win faster by scaling and automating sort of your activities across the different departments? That took a little bit more time, but the idea of the go-to-market category was, was more clear. And was there like a, a SEAL team that was dedicated to thinking about category strategy? And, and if so, who was on that team? Yeah, so our CEO, Henry, is sort of, I would say, always involved in these types of conversations as he should be. He uh, we actually looked back at his original founder letter, and he was talking about a lot of these pieces even back then. We have a, a group that we called uh, Zoom Info Labs, and it's in many ways sort of our forward-thinking innovation within the, the org. It's our leadership within that team, then sort of myself uh, tied into our sales leader, and then a few folks within my team who were thinking about our overall positioning, branding, and sort of how we wanted to create sort of an aligned messaging framework in support of that strategy where we're, we're all very, very tied into the process. And how long did that process take before you were ready to really make that big push into market? Yeah. So it was, I mean, there were some elements that were sort of an evolution and some that were a little bit faster. So the parts that were faster, as I mentioned, we sort of collected that information about a year ago and crystallized really in, in Q1, all of the sort of the way we wanted to talk about going into market, some of the pieces underneath. So we've actually created a, what we call like a go-to-market maturity index based on a lot of conversations that we had across customers and consulting and professional service engagements where we saw people were more and less mature around sort of essentially how you're using data, how you're thinking about alignment across channels and how you're automating those pieces. That sort of build out as sort of the robust methodology took us until the middle of this year. And so I think we've just been trying to get out pieces as we go, talk to customers, get their reactions, and then make it more robust, more robust over time, which is kind of the way that Zoom Info approaches our growth in general is come up with an idea, put it out there, test it, see if it works, iterate, and then sort of make it deeper as you as you move forward. Was there any pushback internally to say, hey, let's just stick with our existing categories or was everyone on board with the shift? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that's been really interesting about Zoom Info, so we're like, if you look at G2, we're in more than 20 different categories. We're number one in the, the vast majority of them, but it's tough. I mean, we're, we're a large company and that we're over a billion dollars, but we're also not that large of a company for being number one in so many different categories. And so the idea of how to effectively tell an integrated story versus trying to just focus on being sort of number one in, in our core markets has been a definitely a, a discussion point. And I think what we're believing is, particularly with this downturn, 
People need to figure out how to be more efficient, how to do more with the technology they have, how to drive more alignment and goodness across sales and marketing, because they're getting pushed from their CEOs and their boards to be efficient across those groups. Uh, and so I think that's been the leading indicator that suggested we're moving in the right direction. But uh, that level of integration versus continuing to try and be best at breed in each of our individual categories has been something that we've debated as a leadership team. Everyone listening, I'm sure, has read Play Bigger, and they're very familiar with the idea of lightning strikes. Did you do anything like a lightning strike to formally announce this category, or what did that look like when it was announced or made official? Yeah, it's a great question. So we, as a, a company, had actually never done a brand campaign before. And in fact, when I was going through the interview process and I, I was talking to Henry, our, our CEO, one of the things we discussed and he said, you know, if you're, if you're wanting to come in here and, and uh, you know, push for a brand campaign, this may not be the right, may not be the right place for you. But we actually did launch our, our first brand campaign in July of last year. And I think that was really where we tried to announce it to the world in terms of how we're thinking about the go-to-market category, how we're thinking about this idea of unlocking insights, engaging customers and winning faster. And then we did each of those pillars through a component of our brand campaign and sort of our first sort of set of videos on the first one and then sort of we've been building off of it. So it was integrated into a lot of the messaging that we were doing last year, but in terms of trying to make a big splash and communicate it out in a sort of a singular moment, it was when we launched back in, in July and we had some press around it at the same time. What were some of those other aspects of the campaign? So in addition to sort of the videos and the ads that we put out there, I had a chance to talk to sort of a number of different publications. Sort of AdAge was one of them and, and really appreciated sort of the coverage that they provided then and as a, as a follow-up to our efforts also across sort of social and some of the, the content that we were putting out there. And then just in sort of the overall integrated marketing efforts that we were putting together, sort of webinars and things like that. And then we changed our overall sort of sales flow and sort of how we did our corporate pitch deck and all of the messaging that was there, sort of the way that we would think about answering, sort of identifying some upfront problems that our customers would have, and then effectively answering them all tied into sort of that framework and how we we're thinking about it. So we did, when we launched it during the summer, try to cover our key channels and, and different owned as well as earned channels that we could take advantage of. What role has thought leadership played in your category creation efforts? Yeah, that's a great question. So Ben Salzman, in particular, that leader of the Zoom Info Labs group that I talked about, has helped us a ton, but we've been doing it across the organization. So the nice thing is there are a lot of our larger customers in particular who are you know actively partnering with us and thinking through how to build out this thought leadership. But we benefit also from the fact that you know Ben had a consulting firm for a number of years before we acquired him, that all he was doing was thinking about modernizing go-to-market. How do you take data? How do you drive go-to-market plays around sort of that data? How do you personalize it now? How do you leverage Gen AI? And so that's, I would say, sort of the focal point for how we create it. And then we test it with customers in small doses and then put it out uh, broadly. So for example, a lot of the plays that we were using internally, and then we were using with some of our large customers, we actually open sourced it. It's now up on our, our website, zoominfo.com forward slash plays for those who want to take a look. And then it's now embedded into our product. And so what we do is we get an idea, we talk about it with some customers, see if it works, then try and create some sort of higher level content and then actually try and scale it through our product over time. And that's a lot of the motion that we're using both for thought leadership, but then actually how we enhance our, our product capabilities. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. 
What about founder-led growth? And, and the reason I ask is I follow Henry on LinkedIn and I see his face popping up all the time in my feed. I see him in the comments responding to like the smallest details. And I also see him really evangelizing for the company and, and for this category. Can you talk us through that strategy to have him be the leading evangelist for this idea? Yeah, I mean, Henry's just incredible. So I sort of wonder when he is, is doing some of the things that he is doing. But I mean, as I mentioned, going back to his founder letter, he's just had an incredible set of instincts around what uh, customers need. And I think that's in part just because he's a very intelligent individual, but also he spends an inordinate amount of time talking to our customers, talking to analysts, talking to investors, really trying to understand what is needed in the marketplace. And so he gets the space and can articulate it in a way that it's hard to replicate. So as, as a marketer, it's amazing when you're, your CEO is sort of by default on message. And so it makes a lot of sense for him to you know, be that spokesperson for us. I think what we're, we're trying to figure out how to sort of complement that is how do we make sure our other leaders are uh, sort of following in his footsteps just so that he doesn't have to carry the full load. But practically, it's a really easy choice for us. So it was jokingly talking with Henry about if we could just use Gen AI to sort of duplicate him so that he could uh, take that goodness and do it even more at scale. That might be an amazing iteration of, uh, of what he can do. It's probably coming. Did you see that AI newscast that came out today? I did not, but we sort of internally have created a video of, of Henry doing a, a presentation that he actually didn't do using Gen AI. So not surprised that that's starting to come out there. Yeah, I'll drop you a link. It's pretty crazy. It's like 21 minutes and it's a whole news program and everything looks real, but it's just uh, all AI for the journalist and the, the broadcasters. It's pretty insane. But yeah, sounds like that's going to be a, a very real thing in the uh, the coming years for thought leadership and just branding and founder branding and I think marketing in general. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see where that comes. But yeah, to your original question, though, I mean, Henry is a huge advocate, obviously, founder of the company. He's incredibly knowledgeable about the space. And I don't know that anyone can actually articulate things as well as him. So for companies that are out there trying to make that decision of you know how you want to approach it, I think one, it's, you know, what's the bandwidth and how do they want to prioritize their time? But also, you know, who are your best spokespeople? And then, you know, where you have them, regardless of where they are in the organization, how do you sort of enable them to be successful and enable them to have the reach that you want to have? How do you find those folks and what do you do to enable them and empower them to be a thought leader and to, to spread the category message? I honestly think we have a lot of work to do on that front. I was actually just pulling together a, a message to send out to my marketing team on this topic, and uh, it's it's sitting in Slack. I haven't yet hit send. But the way that I think about it for all of us is a lot of people are looking for sort of authenticity. And so a great place to start is, you know, reaching out to sort of leaders you have across their organization and understanding, like, what are their passion points? What can they speak intelligently to? And then, you know, where is their interest in the market? And ideally, you can have sort of overlap areas across those three. And that's a really, really good opportunity then to make them a thought leader in that space. And so that's actually what we've been trying to do internally is sort of figure out where is that combination and then how do we facilitate them generating content sort of along those lines, just so that it's lightening the lift. Because obviously, for a lot of your senior leaders, they'd love to be creating content but they may or may not have the, the bandwidth to get that done. So again, I think we're earlier innings for, for that. Henry obviously is, is sort of an expert in that space, but we need more people to be like Henry. And so I, I think we're sort of in motion there, but that's how we're thinking about it. As you plan ahead for 2024, what are some of those other top priorities that you have? Yeah, so like many companies, for us, uh, upmarket, uh, sort of enterprise, mid-market uh, companies, they tend to be stickier, they tend to, to grow faster. And so we want to do everything that, that we can to sort of lean into that and ensure that we are continuing to be the best partners for them. So that's a big priority for us. 
uh, sort of a second one, and it ties into what I mentioned sort of at the beginning of our conversation. Many people know us for sort of who we were and don't fully appreciate the breadth of our offering. And so doing a much better job helping to sort of explain that capability set and the value proposition in a relatable way, knowing that everyone is constantly you know, distracted and bombarded by information coming from many different companies. And so how do we break through that noise? So that's a secondary, uh, really big priority for us. And then I, this has been sort of a, an intentional area of improvement for Zoom Info. We have a lot of different ways that we can communicate with our customers and making sure that we are always getting across our intentions of being customer first and really looking out for sort of their interests, knowing that sort of if they're successful, we're going to be successful. And so I think those are key components of our, our focus for, for next year. What about the role of analyst relation firms in the creation of the category? So, I mean, as we were thinking about our motions for, the, for this year, we spent a lot of time talking to analysts. I mean, they're a wealth of information about sort of the market. They're also a wealth of information about just customers because they're talking to them all the time. And so they're, they're a great source of input. And they are also a great sounding board because, you know, as you're thinking about something, they, they can say, hey, you know, tried that out, that's going to work or that's not going to work. Or uh, they can actually, you know, start talking about it with companies and collecting feedback on your behalf. But they've been really critical for us. I'd say in particular, Forrester and, and, and Gartner have been really valuable, but we've leveraged others as well. And yeah, they've been actively involved in, in the processes we've built out our our positioning in the market, how we thought about the category, some of the assets that we created, the um, sort of the talk tracks related to, to different components. Uh, sort of an example of that for us is intent. Something that was really interesting to me when I came on board. I mean, we've been in the intent space since 2014. And I think people on, on the sales side of the house have known that. Um, people on the marketing side actually didn't. And so it was a really good opportunity to learn from analysts and also help shape our message. Because surprisingly, if you look at G2, for 13 quarters in a row, we've been ranked number one in intent and our, our lead's growing. And then you talk to CMOs and marketing leaders and they actually didn't realize that that was the case. And so uh, you know, through our conversations with analysts, I think we got much crisper on our story in a way that landed with the marketing audience. And I think that that's now starting to become much more clear and surfacing up more thanks in big part to the insights and perspective we got from analysts. Something I see a lot on LinkedIn and just on social media in general is whenever there's someone talking about category creation, there's always naysayers in the comments kind of bashing it, saying it doesn't make sense or it's not a realistic strategy. What do you think folks tend to get wrong about category creation? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to try and create a new category, you have to sort of internalize it's gonna take a lot of time, effort, money. And I'm going to give sort of a sort of a side example and then circle back. I really, in the marketing space, there's an institute, it's called the Ehrenberg Bass Institute, uh, and they do the largest marketing research institute in the world. And they talk about essentially the research behind marketing. And what they say is the ideal way to sell is to start with buying situations, understand when people are in those buying situations, what are the thoughts, feelings, and emotions that they have, and then connect your brand to them. And essentially why that's valuable is you're starting with people, things people are already thinking about and associating your brand to them. You're not trying to create new memories. And in the concept of categories, that's actually why category creation is so hard. You're actually creating sort of new memories, new ways of thinking about things for buyers. And so you're having to spend extra time and effort creating those things and then attaching your brand to it. And so I think that's where you do get some naysayers that rightly say, hey, this is challenging. This is going to be tough. It's going to take a lot of investment. Are we really willing and able to dedicate what's necessary to create that category? Uh, because it's much easier to just 
tie into existing categories, existing associations and build off of those. But ultimately, if you, you want to be the first mover in the market and, and you see an opportunity that people haven't yet realized, you can be very, very successful if it's done correctly. What are some of the questions you would ask if you were talking with a founder and they came to you and said, Brian, I, I want to create a category. What questions should they ask the market and themselves before they pursue that strategy? I would say, why do they know or why do they believe that there is true market demand for that space? Why do they feel that sort of they, their company, their idea are uniquely positioned to address that need? And how are they going to create the awareness that that need and that category exists? Because you could have an existing need, you could have a product that solves for it, but you may not have the ability to create that awareness. And so I think it's that sort of that combination of those three things that's ultimately critical. And you really need all three of them in order to be, in order to be successful. Super useful. Final question for you, and I know we've touched on this a little bit, but let's zoom out three to five years into the future. What's this big picture going to look like in terms of category creation for Zoom Info? I do think the market is moving in the direction, but it's certainly not there, of a integrated go-to-market motion. And that's, I think, most easy to sort of understand in the context of sales marketing, what you're doing from a customer sort of support or customer experience perspective. That is where the market is going, but it's certainly not there. The You're starting, I, I have a lot of times, most frequently conversations with, with sales and marketing leaders where I think there's the conceptual need to be aligned across sales and marketing as well as customer experience. Sometimes an alignment of goals, sometimes an alignment of metrics, but less commonly, and very frequently, very little alignment on actual execution. And so I think there's still you know quite some distance between where we are today, particularly in certain verticals, and like where that needs to go. And so I think the vision is those go-to-market organizations leveraging integrated data, first and third-party data together, and frequently, particularly for larger companies, multiple sources of, of third-party data, being able to take all that information, surfacing it up in insights so people actually know, hey, this company or this individual at this time are going to be interested in something that you have to offer. Taking that and then being able to distribute those insights into actions across your different channels and then having help generate those actions so that you're either providing just oversight into the execution or over time actually automating those so that it really frees up the time of your, your team members to develop sort of the meaningful relationships and focus on what you're doing on top of those activities. So really strong data integrated across your different channels driving signals that then facilitate integrated action across channels and a lot of it leveraging generative AI on top of that really, really robust data foundation is sort of where we see the market going and, and what we are have built and are actively building upon. Amazing. Well, I love the vision and I've really loved this conversation. We are up on time, so we're going to have to wrap here. Before we do, if there's any founders or marketers that are listening in and just want to follow along with you, where should they go? Best place is to just follow me on LinkedIn. That's where I tend to spend most of my time putting together thought leadership. And if, if people want to follow me, it's uh, can look me up as Brian Law, B-R-Y-A-N, last name Law, L-A-W. It has my middle name and my URL, which is Basden, B-A-S-D-E-N. But Brian Law, CMO, Zoom Info. And I, I try and post a lot around, particularly top of funnel, the, how our brains work, how we can take that insight and use it to impact go-to-market and then how companies are, are really pushing integrated activities across their different go-to-market teams. Amazing. I love it. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. All right. Keep in touch.